You are listening to Spitball with Andrew Ballholt Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to a new season of NFL action on Spitball. <laughs> I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows. Joining me this week is the master of making anything sound dirty. Marcus Innuendo Bingo Hanson. How are you, sir? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> good, good. New season of Spitball. Nickname is back. I know we uh, scrap it from the LFL podcast for, for very good reason, but how does it feel to be back on Spitball, Mr. Innuendo? Oh, it's, it's felt too long, really. I mean, I don't know if it's just the off-season feels like it's getting longer or is it just the anticipation for another season? Uh, it could be a little bit of both, my friend. But firstly, I would like to apologise to all of our listeners for not bringing you any off-season coverage. The reason we've had no off-season coverage is we've been extremely busy with our new project and that is our LFL coverage or our Legends Football League coverage in particular our other podcast LFL Talk uh, which is a monthly take on all things related to the Legends Football League from global news to player interviews so be sure to head over to the Legends Lounge page on our website and check out what the Legends League is all about trust me if you've not seen it yet you will be impressed so now Marcus let us move on with the show this guy using his phone as a phone. Your phone ain't for calling. Your, your phone's phone. for football. Yeah. As I mentioned, new season of Spitball. Let's dive straight into the week one action. And Marcus, where would you like to start, sir? Actually, I think, uh, Rob, apt we should start with your your Bills taking on Chicago because that was quite a good match to start off with. And that's completely unscripted for all those people out there that may have read the Bias blog this week about the Bills game as well. But, uh, yeah, do continue. You talk about the Bills all you want, my friend. Yeah, I mean, you've been saying the last couple of years that what the Bills have really been lacking is that aggressiveness on defence. And I think that really came out. Because we saw like like some McKelvin coming in stripping the ball, and there was a lot of guys coming in. I mean, I was a bit trepid, um, sort of bit of trepidation coming into this because, of course, losing uh, Alonso for the season, I wondered how sure your run defense was going to be. He was a great part last year, but it seemed you know they filled that gap quite nicely. And by half time, when you had quite that sort of seventeen seven lead, I was I was really impressed to see more how Chicago would be able to come back into this game or whether you'd be able to continue because you've got that good running game be able to just shut it down and maintain the clock yeah definitely and with the Alonso injury Alonso had actually been moved to outside linebacker this year and because of the addition of Brandon Spikes from New England so I mean having him in the middle of the field really paid dividends and then it just meant that we had the outside to, to fill which we seem to uh, cover quite nicely. Yeah, and it, it was. I mean, we we know we've you know you know Chicago aren't quite the same defense that they were, but they've still got enough weapons on offense with like some a sort of Marshall and Jeffrey and Cutler's a good enough arm sling and forty in the backfield. The fact that they they were pretty much kept quite quiet through that first half, and it was only really in the second half when Cutler had to chase the game, really did he start to accumulate the yardage on you. But a lot of the time, Forte had a great game out. He had about 80-odd yards in the passing game because they were having to utilise him as that check-down throw because the coverage was so good. So I really liked, I think, positive things, definitely even more so the fact that Buffalo came with the, the overtime victory. But it really showed that they're progressing as that team is, is sort of maturing. And it's it's very positive to see because, of course, and just 
being sort of walked over. But I really do see. I don't think this is, that's a, a weak Chicago team that they've beaten. And I think a lot of that uh, aggression on defense that you were speaking of there boils down to having Jim Schwartz as the defensive coordinator. I mean, he could be a head coach anywhere else in the league. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind of that fact. So to have him coaching our defense is a massive plus. Absolutely. Okay, so another game I would like to talk about this week is going to be the battle between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And there's a couple of things really from the the game to mention is firstly, Cleveland's comeback in the second half, which to me came out of nowhere. But I think we also saw a little bit of a resurgence out of Ben Roethlisberger. There was a, a few times where he was trapped in the pocket or people had their hands on him and he showed his old skill of being able to avoid the tackle and managing to pull a big play out of nowhere. Yeah, that that, that big big ben- elusiveness that he's, he's always managed to maintain. Absolutely, and paying dividends the fact that Le'Veon Bell absolutely beasting out of the backfield. It, it's sort of they sort of missed that that big name back really the last couple of years in Pittsburgh, the one who can be very dominant and take some of the pressure off the throwing game. Now, not to say that the throwing game isn't a problem, but you definitely saw that it felt as almost as if Pittsburgh had already called it the game at half time. I believe it was what we were talking twenty four three or yeah, something like that. Cleveland 20... only had three at half time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and so basically, it almost. Felt Felt like people had just settled in to sort of go right, guys. We got this in the bag, right? What we what we gonna stakes after the game? What we thinking to allow Cleveland to come back in because they they understood the game plan. I mean, I saw all the time that that young corner for Cleveland, uh, Gilbert, really struggling not only on his actual assignments through defense, but also we saw the fake punt. Um, we saw he he was the one with the blown assignment on the fake punt as well. So they understood who to attack, but somehow they managed to move personnel around. So they limit, limited the sort of damage that could be inflicted. So when they came out second half, they had gone in, adjusted perfectly to allow themselves to come out and use the momentum, uh, rechange the momentum and drive forward with it before Pittsburgh had a chance to put the brakes on. Yeah, and it just goes to show you in, in this league and in this day and age, you can't go to sleep at all at any stage during the game, otherwise you will pay for it. Yeah, it's, 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 this, this isn't college. You can't drum up um, a 20-point advantage and think that the game's won. You know, there's... There's four quarters and you've got to play with the same intensity as you did in the first, in the fourth. I covered this a little bit in the blog as well, the Seattle-Green Bay game. Um, what a game. Bit of a slow start for Seattle, first quarter being down 7-3, but they did look very scary. Once they turned on and Beast Mode came out to play, I, I thought they looked very scary on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, Wilson really didn't have to do much except for sort of manage the game, and uh, that interior interior part of the defence for Seattle showing what its reputation. My, my one concern is, of course, anyone you know looking towards Eddie Lacy and this is the second major concussion in as many years, um, which is, is quite a concern for such a young and talented player. Yeah, concussions are never a good thing. And if you start racking them up, then, yeah, you need to be really careful. And last year, there was player that reti- a young player retired because it had too many concussions, wasn't there? Yeah, and I, again, this year, I can't think of the... Um, oh, it was the New York Giant who the compression, the head hit... Oh, and called it a quits after neck what was damage. the second season, wasn't it? Or what was going to be a second season? Exactly, because... It's just when you get hit, sometimes, like you see, like the head, sometimes it's not the hits that hurts you. It's when you hit the ground and your neck whips and it's it's horrible. So head and neck injuries, especially these concussions, uh, it's, a, it's a rough sport. We know it's a rough sport. 
Um, sometimes we love it because it's a rough sport, but you know, there, there's there's parts of it that we really don't want to see. But at the same time, I got a fear that really that Green Bay offensive line. It wasn't just Lacey who was suffering; Rogers was suffering too. That is a weak and vulnerable, especially with the Bulaga injury as well. Weak and defensive uh, offensive line that um, leaving their their crucial players, the Rogers and the Laceys, defenseless against these big hits. Yeah, and that's that's the last thing you want to see. You don't want to see your franchise players being put in such a position. No, no, you don't. Okay, so anything else we can take from that game, apart from the fact that throughout the entire game, I don't think Rogers threw towards Sherman once, which in my eyes means Sherman's done his job, because if they don't even look to his side of the field, then that, that's instantly narrowing the, how much they've got to play with. No, uh, yeah, exactly. And we'll, I, I'll come on to this later in more depth, and you'll, you'll understand why, audience. But um, you saw that they shifted it, and the entire game plan was attack Byron Maxwell, the other. You know, he's just been in place there. He's the other side of the new addition to lead, sort of the shuffle around of the Legion of Boom as it is. And they really attacked him. But I thought he really held his own because, yeah, he, he let a few big plays go by. And like I said, early on, uh, Nelson got a few catches on him. But then it, as the game progressed and it became, you know, more comfortable for Seattle, it meant that your blitz packages and the coverage packages could work better in sync. Um, Rogers being put off and ultimately... All the secondary had to do was pretty much maintain their coverage to uh, take the benefit of the added pressure because there was just so much pressure on Rogers. He just did not look comfortable, and you could see that it was it was clouding his judgment. I have a sneaky suspicion then, if you're saying that uh, we're going to come back to it later in the show, that maybe a young Mr. Maxwell may feature in our defensive impact player awards we'll see if if i'm right on that exactly we'll have to see we'll have to see again i want to come back to the afc north and the cincinnati versus baltimore game so it was two big divisional games at the start of the season for the uh, sorry the afc north cincinnati baltimore worked out to be a lot closer than perhaps it started off and Cincinnati started off quite dominant in that game and then towards the end of the second half it looked like Baltimore were going to sneak it especially with the the Steve Smith touchdown as well which part of me thought yep great touchdown great that he threw Adam Jones on the floor until you see the replay and then you realise that he had Adam Jones by the face mask and pulled him down which is A very unsafe uh, and B should have been flagged yeah I mean it's just it's we get it that it's now a offensive based league and you're looking for that but sure Surely the emphasis, one of the emphasis things, and again, we'll get back onto more of this later. The, the emphasis on these penalties is that the safety penalties are now more in the the referee's eye. So therefore, the illegal use of hands to the face and such, you know, these should be, you know, what they're, you know, what they're screaming, screening out for, you know. So I don't understand when you've got better part of, is it? Uh, I can't remember if it's seven or eight refs watching out for this that one person didn't catch that hand on that face mask not to mention how close the actual line judge was to the action when it happened I mean admit it it happened so quickly but at the same time you've got to be asking yourself how did he just manage to throw him over in that manner in the first place yeah absolutely but you, you mentioned earlier how they're, they're dominance but fair play to Baltimore for allowing it to stay so close because of course you look at what happened, and they opened up Cincinnati with with five field goals. So I mean, we had a 22-yard field goal, 28. You know, they're not all long distances. There's the potential there that they could have, you know, effectively saved a good part of maybe eight to 12 points off the board, which really takes the the dominance 
like the slight sting out of the tail, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And and finally, thinking of uh, Sting and their tails for this particular game, AJ Green pops up again with uh, another game-winning touchdown against Baltimore Ravens. So they must be sick of the sight of that number eighteen shirt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was it. Was just after the big Steve Smith, and it was almost you know the next 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 Cincinnati drive, and they just come down. Well, anything you can do, we can do better. And just there you go, AJ Green. Thank you. Yeah. Touchdown game. Yeah. Don't know if you've heard about our big receiver. His name's uh, AJ uh, AJ Green. Yeah, you might want to keep an eye out for. Oh, okay. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So, any further games you want to talk about, Marcus? Pretty much. My only my last game is got to be. Miami standing strong at home to the Patriots. Yeah, go for it. I'm always happy to talk about New England losing, so let's do it. Well, it's just, it was just it was amazing to watch. Again, we, we spoke about um, how Cleveland had that massive transformation from the halftime and the reshift of um, sort of advantage and sort of, oh, what's the word? I am missing. <laughs> adjustments no not adjustments um like the, the swing of balance the balance of power in their favor anyway it did swing back into their favor so they're 2010 down at half time yet they managed to turn around understand how they have to do and they shut out new england shut them down in the second half they came in they readjusted the defensive plan because they were working in it and you could see that brady was getting fluxed in the first half however he had all his dump down receivers. He had sort of Farine and he had Edelman's on the short managed passings that he could get to. Gronk was starting to come in to the play as well. But it was it was there he was really looking at sort of like, I think Edelman got like seven or eight sort of catches or something like that. So really he was looking at that sort of that short dump off pro. And then all they did is they managed to create that really intense middle of the field where they wouldn't allow anything deep. They kept the corners working tight to their receivers. The middle of the field was jam-packed. They managed to bring out outside pressure with just three or four rushes sometimes onto Brady. So therefore, no running game came out. They made sure to just completely shut down Vereen. I don't even think he had more than about 40, 50 yards. So it allowed their running game and Moreno to just work away, break at the, the New England defense, and they just start getting tired. And then you just start seeing that as they just the defense came in on Moreno, then just I mean, what a great acquisition he's been for for Miami. I think he's fitted in there so well, and this was just this was a coming out party galore for him. Yeah, definitely. And they needed to find someone to to fill the shoes of Reggie Bush, really, didn't they? Because when he was down in Miami, he proved everyone wrong and and showed that he could actually run on grass. So for them to have someone like that at running back to take the pressure off. Tannehill as well, or should I say, mm, Tannehill, uh, take the pressure off him and uh, make his life a little bit easier. That and having Mike Wallace back making plays as well on the outside. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the receiving itself was really strong, and I think you got the likes of like Wallace and that um, that that new that new tight end for them, um, Charles Clay, really make a difference because it allows. Um, and of course they got that that change up because of course they got Miller coming out the backfield as well. Now Miller seemed to me he was doing a lot more catching. He seems to be like the multi tool back where he, he does a bit of running and he does a bit of catching. And they really work that in in progression. Whereas Moreno has that sort of more um, sort of progressively runner based sort of ideology behind him. So for me, the fact that they came in, they worked it clearly. The game plan was wrong. It didn't work. It wasn't working. They they ripped up and they started again and they re rejigged it at halftime and they came out and they slowly got back into it. But it was the shutting down. That was for me. That was what was really key to it because the shutting down. This is I mean Brady had 
29 completions off 56 attempts. I know, I saw how many attempts he had. It was ridiculous. Yeah, but then you got four sacks on Brady as well. Yeah, and a couple of them by Cameron Wake. Oh, what a beast he was. Absolute beast. Uh, But again, the fact is, Wake was getting there when they were only really driving with about, you know, you've got only about a three or four front pressure. So therefore, they could contain the middle of that, that middle clutch and not let Brady then dump it out to Vereen or Edelman in that short um, short cut route or or just making sure that, therefore, Brady's sort of stuck between the, do I throw it away, do I try and force a play? Um, of course, you know, Brady's been there smart enough that he lives to fight another down and he doesn't throw that interception. But you could see that slowly and surely, more and more, all they were doing in Miami was just saying, this play's not going to work on us tonight. If you want to try and beat us, you've got to go back to the, the drawing board. And, of course, the longer it went on, the more dominant they got and the more time just ran out for New England to even think about coming back. Yeah, and a, a great performance by Miami. And uh, that leaves, of course, uh, well, New England at the bottom of the AFC East so certainly for the start of, of week one anyway with Miami, uh, the, uh, obviously the Buffalo Bills winning and uh, the, the Jets winning uh, against Oakland as well. So the last game I actually want to talk about before we move on, because we're getting a bit short of time for this segment, is the shootout in Atlanta. I think it would be a little bit harsh not to mention this game for two reasons, really. Firstly, that Atlanta, of course, were the stars of the NFL series Hard Knocks in the preseason, which if you've not had the chance to watch, um, I'm sure they will be re-showing it or it may be available on Sky Catch-Up. Or if you have NFL Game Pass, go and have a look at the NFL Network shows and watch Hard Knocks. It gives you a real insight into the the preseason life of an NFL team, the cuts that have to be made, the trauma that all the players go through, and just generally all the hard work that goes in before we even get to week one in the season. But what a game, New Orleans-Atlanta. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the way the, way the game played out, um, sort of a lot of back and forth. We know Matt Ryan can be a gunslinger when he needs to. We know Drew Brees will probably throw for nearly 5,000 yards, if not more, again this year. Very back and forth and, and ended up being a real high-scoring game. Yeah, I mean, I, I found myself, you mentioned the hard knocks, I found myself watching a lot more of this and seeing if I could pick out any of the people who had been brought to life <laughs> through Yeah, like Freeman and uh, Beerman and people like that. Yeah, you do develop... Um, I don't, I don't know what the right word is here, but you always kind of look out for their results. I think that's kind of that's what I'm gonna to have to say. Just because you kind of grow a bit of a bond with that team, don't you? When uh, when you see them on TV like that, and you kind of get to know the characters behind the game. Yeah, and while, while I was watching it as well, the fact that because I was watching on um, on Red Zone, there was a lot of scoring. Hence, they were they were featuring a lot more. You kept flashing up every sort of min- uh, couple of minutes or so. There's been another score, another development, another another um, lead change, and sort of back and forth. And of course, you know, we had a few games going to the whole overtime. But um, yeah, absolute complete shootout. And I, I don't know which way it could have gone. And you could have flipped a coin really on this one because both just seemed so so dominant, and then at the same time, just seemed so breakable. Uh, well, this reminded me actually of the Atlanta team that got to the playoffs a couple of years ago. Where remember where they they went through the season where they must have had about six or seven close games where they managed to get a feed go- uh, sorry a field goal with the last drive of the game. And on this occasion, it got them into overtime. And then just some great play by the Atlanta defense to strip the ball from Colston in in overtime. And did you see Colston afterwards? He was absolutely devastated, throwing his helmet on the floor wouldn't let his teammates console him because he knew 
that that was it. It was game over after he'd given up the turnover. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sometimes it's just it's that one play. It's just the the one lapse, the the one moment. But um, as great Al Davis used to say, just win, baby. And that's all they had to do. They came away with the W. And so now they're basically sitting up there with Carolina uh, on NFC, looking pretty 1-0 and at the bottom of the NFC South. Uh, Not on the bottom of the NFC South. Yeah, I mean, top of down, the... D- down the bottom of the country, NFC South. I know what I meant. Yeah, OK, fair enough. Well, I'm sure all of our listeners know what you meant as well. So um, we'll leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that My there. My crazy brain, they all, they all know by now. For the new listeners, I'm sure they'll get that picture pretty quickly. So let's crack on with the show. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Now we've got to that part in the show where I like to unleash the beast that is Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson and ask him, Marcus. What's been grinding your gears this week, sir? You know what really grinds my gears? The fact that this new look NFL, which is is being too overly dominant on these new defensive holding penalties. Let me tell you one thing. You could call holding on every single play in the NFL. Without a doubt. You look at it back, you watch the game field, I don't care. There is holding on almost every single play. Now, don't get me wrong, the fact is that consistency has to be arranged. But at the same time, when we're in a pass-heavy dominant league, is the last thing you really need more leverage for them against the defense? Now, at the same time, I haven't got a problem with some of these new ones. I really like the idea of the no use of hands to the face. It's a great rule. It keeps guys safe. That's, you know, some of them, you watch the linemen that, that hit the sort of face mask, that sudden, like, jerk of the neck for the defensive guys and stuff like that. It's all good to protect people from that. However, you slowing down a game, you stopping a defensive play because some guy, especially when it's on the other side of the field, people, you know, if it's not interfering with play, can we please use a bit of common sense here? You know, do I need to flag this or is it really... Is it just part of the bump and grind that is everyday down football? Now, of course, legal stuff. If I'm going to grab your jersey and pull you to the ground, you call that. If me and me and the receiver are having a bit of a, an arm war and we're basically giving each other as good as we get, just let it go. Just let it go. Look, we're both probably grabbing each other's jerseys. We're both probably giving each other a good sort of push outside the five-yard line. You know, We might be down the pitch and we might be just argy-bargy, but it doesn't matter if it's not interfering the play. If I'm getting in the way for pass interference, fair play, you flag me for that. Don't bring this play down to a grinding halt just because the fact is that me and the receiver are having a bit of a shoving match. All we're doing is we're just playing our game. We're just playing our game. We're getting inside the mind of each other, each other's players. We're trying to beat the guy up here, up in the gold canoodle. You know, why are we bringing the NFL to a point where, you know, fans are getting bored because there's always a flag on the pitch? Every single down there's holding. Can we use a little common sense? Let's keep it safe, but at the same time, let's keep it fast. Let's keep it fun. And that's what's been great. 
Running my gears. Fair enough. And as always, I like to play a little bit of devil's advocate when you have your little rants. But one thing is, granted, it may be on the other side of the field, but is it interfering with play if the quarterback doesn't throw to that receiver because he sees how manhandled he's getting and knows he's not open because of the foul that's taken place and then throws to the other side of the field? Surely that does need to be flagged. You decide. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, it's like that, is it, my friend? Yes, it is in the hands of our great and ever-burdening audience. You guys now have the power. Who do you think's right? Yeah, and if you want to let us know, remember... Hey, guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Who are you? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. I don't know you, bro. You're having one of those days. Hey, baby, you're having one of those days. I say that to say this. If you wouldn't have did what you would have did, then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got. That just don't make no sense, dog. Marcus, put your shoe on. Put it on. Shit. I can't finish with these clothes. I'm a teeth. I think I chipped my tooth. I wish I had some gold so you can bite me some teeth. Now we come to my favourite part of the show, and that is our weekly awards. For those new to the podcast, each week, myself and Marcus pick our offensive and defensive impact player, otherwise known as the Megatron Award for Offense, after Calvin Johnson, the wide receiver for Detroit Lions, and the Mr. Ray Lewis Award for Defensive uh, Player of the Week, named after great linebacker Mr. Ray Lewis. So let's start with our Mr. Award winners, Marcus, and your runner-up, please, sir. All right, my runner-up, as I mentioned, we might talk about him in the uh, earlier in the show, is going to go to Byron Maxwell, cornerback for Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I had a, I had a sneaky suspicion he would feature in this one. What can we say about this guy? Um, well, I really should let you speak as he's your runner-up. Basically, you looked at it, the game, the game plan for the Green Bay was to attack this guy and pretty much sort of work their way down the field on his back. At the same time, yes, he made a few plays, but once once he got settled, once the Legion and Boom got running, he turned around, he stepped up, he took the interception, pretty much forced Aaron Rodgers to double think about this guy and sort of cemented himself as a worthy sort of part of that sort of that secondary unit, you know. There's no weak links now. You're sitting there going, you know, you gonna take it on me? Oh no, 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 no. I'm as good as all the other guys. You you can't throw to us, we'll shut you down. He had a great game. He, he came in to run support as well to make sure that, you know, when they try to bring in like Kuhn or Stark into the sort of the short yardage game, he was up there, he was being aggressive, just like the rest of them. But again, because he was being soloed out and the fact that he stood up to the challenge, he gets my runner up, Mr. Ray Lewis. Yeah, fair play. I believe, did he not get two interceptions in that game? I um, think it was only the one, but Al will check my workings out. I've only got him down as having one. In which case, that must just be my bad, dude. So sorry about that. Okay, yeah, so one interception. Uh, my runner-up for the defensive impact is going to... Guess who it's going to? It's going to a Buffalo Bill. How surprising is this? But I just think Corey Graham in his uh, in his debut for the Bills. Um, I'm really not sure why they referred to him as the third string as well behind Gilmore uh, and McKelvin because. 
for me, Corey Graham would start opposite Gilmore every day of the week because McKelvin gets beaten too easily deeply and uh, he doesn't have the same height as Graham. I digress a little there. Corey Graham in that game against the Bears. Sure, yep, he only had three tackles, but uh, he had a big interception in the first half. And when it came to the crunch time towards the end of the fourth quarter, who was the one that was making the pass deflections or putting off the Bears receivers? Um, it was Corey Graham. He seemed to be making all the plays in the key situations. So that is why he is my runner-up for the Mr. Ray Lewis Award. Now we move on to the winners. So, Marcus, who is your winner? My winner this week is going to go to DJ Swearinger, strong safety, Houston Texans. Ah, yeah, okay. See, um, he was one that actually also featured on Hard Knocks as well, wasn't he? Because of the uh, confrontations he was having with some of the Atlanta players. But uh, do carry on. Yeah, boy is aggressive. And did he step up to it? He's only a second-year guy. You know, he's very young. He's 23 at the moment. So he's probably got a long career ahead of him if he's going to play like this. Six tackles, two assists. He was all over the field. If he wasn't at least, you know, getting in that run game, you know, someone else tackling him down, he was making sure they stayed down, didn't get up any yards after tackle, after contact. He also came in, had that crucial sack as well, and it created a bit of a forced fumble. He was just all over the pitch. And I think when you go create that impact, you know, it's not always the guy who, like, runs back the touchdown or, uh, you know, interception for a touchdown or, you know, the guy who racked up, like, um, you know, loads and loads of tackles but the fact is that he was everywhere and this is a Houston defense especially the secondary that was called out last year as being weak and vulnerable and and too easily too easily sort of thrown upon you know I'd like to see the fact that the secondary that really came up and they just made sure that you know RG3 just did not have a night at all I mean the Washington offense you know apart from I think about two or three plays just were completely shut solid so for me um, yeah Absolutely. The Houston team in general looks much better. Very happy to see what they do this year. But Swearinger, wow, you know, I think he's going to do very well in this league as that sort of coming off that aggressive, strong safety. Love it. He's my impact player. Nice one. Well, my winner this week goes to Jason McCourty of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, another safety uh, making, again, see, when you look at numbers, they're not necessarily the, the best of numbers, but the general impact he had on the game and the disruption he caused to Alex Smith, um, turning him into a bit of a turnover machine. Three tackles, two interceptions, two pass deflections. But again, whenever there was a, a big play to be made uh, in the passing game, it came up with those two interceptions and, and really kept that Kansas City offense quiet. Yeah, they couldn't quite work it out, could they? It was it was just a sort of like the rush, The whenever the rush sort of started to envelop them, they just knew the right coverage to sort of get themselves back. So, again, you see Smith, a mm, little bit too much of his, uh, you know, the inability and the indecision that maybe lost him his job uh, at San Francisco coming out in this game. And um, The only thing you can say as a positive for Alex Smith is, and it was something that they raised during the game, and that was that Alex Smith didn't have his uh, number one receiver due to uh, suspension, I believe. Um, and they, the point they raised was that, no quarterback throws interceptions to their number one receiver. It's a very well, two of the, there was yeah, exactly they were saying that after the second interception in which kind of Avery was to blame, wasn't it? It sort of came off his hands a little. Yeah, they, that's what they they came to mention that he's the number two receiver. And is is there a slight bit of timing loss there? Is there a bit maybe of indecision about how the routes, uh, how the route is going to be cut uh, across the field? So. You know, I think there's a great amount of actual 
sort of premise and uh, behind that theory. Excellent. So um, congratulations to our two winners for the Mr. Award. And we now move on to our award. And uh, Marcus, who is your runner-up? My runner-up this week, because there's, I must, there's some great performances, but I've managed to narrow it down to my runner-up being Matt Ryan, quarterback, Atlanta Falcons. Ooh, see, I would like to hear why he's your runner-up and not your winner, because he, he made my selections as well, but in a slightly different position. I, I Absolutely. I mean, I must admit, I was kind of, I'm in an hour how I would put my two impact players in positions this week. I just feel that because we know Matt Ryan's sort of what he can do and we must it's not a great secondary for the uh, for the Saints I think they're going to have another long season in that secondary and they are too easily sliced apart but you can't take away the fact they had 31 out of 43 passes that's 72% completion percentage by the way for 448 yards and three touchdowns without a single interception Whew, boy did he have a night on fire but what a great sort of surrounding cast he's got with like the Julio Jones He's got um, the Roddy Whites who coming out and really helping him. And, of course, coming out of the, the backfield as well, he's got Freeman and Smith and... Uh, Jackie's Rogers. Jacquees Rogers. All these sort of... I mean, I know you've got um, Stephen Jackson as the main running back, but they've got so many sort of these these halfbacks that are sort of half wide receiver, half running back. It's great. And, of course, Douglas came out and, and had a great game as well. So, for me, he had amazing stats. He had a great game. And un- undoubtedly, without his gar- gunslinging arm, they're not going to win the game. But I still think you know, he's definitely on my list. But... But you'll see in a minute why I think my number one is number one. But he is unfortunately number two. Well, uh, there's not much more I can add to uh, Matt Ryan as to why he was your runner-up. And also as to why he was actually my winner of the Megatron Award this week. So I'm going to leave my winner there because I'm going to have to do it in reverse order to you. As we kind of have a little bit of a topsy-turvy picking there. So who is your winner, Marcus? My winner this week, just because I thought what he brought to the table was amazing. And that is Le'Veon Bell running back for Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, we, we said earlier, didn't we, about what a great game he had, and he had a couple of breakout plays, actually. Yeah, I think that was it, that was it for me. The idea is that, you know, he was kind of not quite a known entity, and the fact that, you know, doing this, we know that there's some weaknesses in the, the Cleveland defense on, again, like the Saints in the secondary, but they've got a stout run defense, which was really surprising how he managed to have such a great game. 21 attempts for 109 yards and a touchdown. We saw in that amazing 38-yard run where he breaks three tackles in the process to make it stumble, bumble into the end zone. Six receptions as well for 88 yards in the throwing game. So again, he's that multiple diverse back that really they've been missing in, in Pittsburgh that will allow them to sort of play that sort of multi-threat game where Ben can also utilize him as that sort of check down when you know maybe the coverage isn't as tight as it wants to be and he doesn't have to then try and create some mystical magical miracle play with his feet yeah and again nothing really I can add to that really so congratulations to Lavion Bell for winning the award for Marcus now I'm going to come back to my runner-up and you brought me nicely in there with the unknown quantities and my runner-up this week was actually a young wide receiver out of Jacksonville by the name of Alan Hearns. In that first half um, against the Eagles, he completely turned the game on its head. He had four receptions in total, 110 yards, and those two touchdowns to really stun the Eagles. So, um, in general, uh, firstly, he was unknown, um, and because of the injuries and suspensions in that receiver core, he's literally just come out of nowhere in the draft this year, 
Um, I had a quick look on some of his draft report that was on NFL.com. <clears throat> they were saying he wasn't great out of his roots, doesn't have very good speeds. So they don't think he'll be able to beat many NFL cornerbacks. And I think they may have got that a little bit wrong. Yeah, and if you want a really, yeah, really fun bit of trivia, no other NFL wide receiver has caught his first two NFL passes, like legitimate full season, not preseason passes, for touchdowns. Oh, right. So, yeah. So, the fact that his first his two first NFL two catches, receptions were touchdowns. Yeah, his first two actual NFL season receptions both went for touchdowns. No other wide receiver in the history of the league has had his first two catches go for touchdowns. Wow. How cool is that to have a stat? See, and how's that for impact as well, then? Because... Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> If you come into the league and your first two catches are both touchdowns and you set a new league record, then what more can you ask for out of a receiver? Good things to come, I hope. And um, well, let's hope so. Yeah, we'll see what see what Chad Henney and that Jacksonville offense can do. So that brings us to the uh, end of our awards. So congratulations to the winners of uh, Matt Ryan and Le'Veon Bell, Jason McCourty, and you're going to help me out with the pronunciation, DJ Swearinger? Swearinger. Swearinger, thank you. Congratulations to you guys on the awards. I think think coaches win players, and I think managers win their employees. So... I think I think players win games and coaches win players and I've never seen a coach score a touchdown and I've never I've never seen a coach make a tackle um, and therefore if you think as a coach that you can scheme yourself to success and scheme your kids to success you're so wrong. We finish off this week's show in two parts. Firstly, with a new segment for our regular listeners, I'm sure you uh, know by now that I like to introduce new features every now and then just to try and keep things fresh. So we are going to start with our plays of the week, which we'll also put into the show notes so you'll be able to view them after we've uh, discussed them as well. And we will finish off with our week two preview and our... So, Marcus... Let's start off with you, my friend, as to which play caught your eye or which plays caught your eye, sorry. Well, I've sort of I've managed to sort of narrow it down, so I've got a kind of a an offensive and a defensive play that just sort of blew my mind. Oh really they blew your mind. Exactly. Marcus's mind blowing plays. Hmm. Interesting. That may be a feature. <laughs> <laughs> hey Marcus, well, that sounds like gonna... a good name for a band. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus and the Mind Blowers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I love it. Yeah, indeed. So, we digress, but... Okay, your offensive play then, sir. You are going to love this one, because for me, it is Fred Jackson's monster 38-yard run in overtime that put them into the field goal range while absolutely handing free safety Chris Conti onto his backside with one mega stiff arm. Yeah, indeed, and perfectly legal as well because there was no hands to the face mask or anything like that, I must stress as well. So, uh, yeah, he pushed him once, he didn't go down, he went, why haven't you gone down yet? Get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) It was brilliant, it was just pure strength. He just absolutely just, just said, I'm coming through, get down, wait a minute, you not down, boy? I said, get down. Yeah, and this is why everyone in Buffalo loves Fred Jackson. He may be the oldest running back in the game at the moment, but he's still got it in a big way and a great compliment to all of the running backs, really, in Buffalo. And I thought uh, young Dixon had a great game as well. I'm surprised that that Brown didn't start. But, um, yeah, it looks like between Jackson, 
Brown, Dixon and, and Spiller. We've got some great running backs in Buffalo. There's a lot of different weapons there. Each guy bringing his own unique taste to that um, to that offensive lineup. Yeah, definitely. So I'm actually curious to know who your defensive player was because you've taken one of my plays of the week there. So um, you might as well get straight into your defensive player of the week. I didn't mean to steal it from you, but my defensive, this, this was just a mind-blowing athleticism here. And this was... DeAndre Levy, linebacker for uh, Detroit Lions, and his fingertip are on the ground interception. Yeah, it made it as what I've put down as actually my number one player of the week, just the way he managed to come up with it. The fact that it was kind of bobbling around and he's managed to somehow uh, secure it. You'll see what we mean when we put the clip in the show notes. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, diving interception. Um, I think it was the pass originally tipped as well, and that's what kind of led to the, the diving interception. I didn't see that. I kind of I saw the zoom up on him, and basically perfect coverage, absolutely perfect. He's got his eyes on the quarterback where he needs to be, but he's got control of the receiver as he's doing it. He notices the ball's going a bit low. He adjusts his body. It comes down. The impact of the the ball and his elbow on the ground bobbles up in the air, but he manages to refind it in the air, maintain the position, doesn't touch the ground once, and he then instantly up looking to make yards yeah it was a it was a great play and um, again you stole in there i say my my number one player of the week there so that's brilliant it's a good job i wrote more than two down really isn't it <laughs> <laughs> right so the plays of the week from my point of view i've actually got three more to add to that so you'll have five in the show notes there the first one is monte ball's touchdown run against the colts it was only from about possibly five yards out at most but it was the fact that he uh, had the ball handed off to him ran into the line of scrimmage went oh this isn't working for me ran into a different point in the line of scrimmage and went yeah this still isn't working white defenders having their arms around him managed to break out and <laughs> run off into the end zone so may not sound great from that description but trust me when you watch it i think you'll be impressed marcus will probably be screaming at the really bad tackling but that's a different story next one i want to bring up is the delaney walker touchdown catch Did you, have you seen this one marcus oh yeah i think i know which one you mean uh yeah just jake locker throws it and has to throw it higher than the covering linebacker so towards the back of the end zone jumping up it almost looks like a diving catch at first and um, when you watch it in full speed but when they slow it down you see that it's more of a kind of half jump and then he kind of dots his toes or dots the uh dots the eye as they say and then just kind of goes out the back of the end zone so a, a, a great catch from him and yeah i was actually quite impressed actually you say locker he looked very sharp um against kansas city it doesn't really matter what he dressed like mate how did he play <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how did I fall for that? <laughs> oh, I've got no idea, buddy, but uh, keep keep them coming, mate, and I'll keep knocking them down. Brilliant. <laughs> right, so the final player I want to talk about, and again, uh, I'm hoping you've seen it, was the James Jones one-handed leaping catch against the Jets. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, I know which one you mean. I mean, again, it's, it's, I, was, I was surprised that Carr had such a good game because defence for the Jets is, is one of the few good points, really. I mean, yeah, what an acquisition as well to get Jones. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, great receiver. And I was surprised that Green Bay let him go. I guess they had a few other contracts they needed to work out. But Jones, for me, especially when uh, Cobb went down last year. Was it, yeah, Cobb went down last year. And I think Nelson may have gone down for a few games at some point last year. So... At one point, Jones was actually their number one receiver last year, so very surprising. Yeah, but for me, it's when you look at the the Raiders' receiving core, there wasn't much there to outstand. However, they still put Jones as sort of like the, the second 
second string. I think that's mainly due to age and coming into the whole new system. But the fact is, he he was playing like he was the number one receiver. I think Carr seemed to have that great. I don't know if it's because he was second string. Carr had a great sort of nuance with him. I mean, I know there, there was the Streeter touchdown, and, and but there was the really there was no real presence from any of the other Raiders receivers. So he really managed to sort of shine out as that sort of number one. And if you keep making plays like this, you will be number one receiver. Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, as I say, if you go to the show notes, you'll be able to check out those plays. So now we finish off the show with our look ahead to the uh, week two. So our week two preview and also our... So going to start off with uh let's see let's should we look ahead to a few games first marcus before we then throw in our sh- swing. or yeah. swing first and then go through previews later i can hold off for a swing right now yeah okay yeah. then uh, let's look ahead to some games and i'm sure this one will have caught your eye as well marcus but the thursday night game Again, I find myself coming back to the AFC North um, just because it is such a competitive division. But the Ravens versus Steelers to kick off week two. Yeah, there's something about the AFC North. It's just it's it's such a, a gritty sort of engaging league where uh, the, the sort of the conference just always keeps the division keeps keeps you guessing all the way to the final week. I think this will just be brilliant. You know, Baltimore, they could have come back really into the game over Cincinnati. They, they sort of had that bend but don't break policy. Maybe they just they they let themselves bend a little bit too much in that Pittsburgh. They fell asleep only to come back and win it. So these 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 two really didn't really play with the A game against their own, the AFC teams before. So really, the fact that they're going to go back to back on weeks division that's going to give one team, especially if it's Pittsburgh, such a good standing because they'll already put two divisional games in the bag. So I think Pittsburgh are going to come out there and they will they will not allow themselves to fall asleep this time. Baltimore. I don't know if they've got the watching the 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 offense for Pittsburgh. I don't know if they're going to have the gusto on that defense to really stop them. Though I should see a close game with maybe a two score advantage to Pittsburgh. And, and though I don't want to talk about the whole incident because I think it's getting enough coverage as it is at the moment. But all I will say about Ray Rice is how much of a distraction do you think that will prove to be, especially in the short preparation week for the race? I don't think it's going to be that much. I think, to be fair, the speed in which he's been cut makes me think that there's been a contingency plan since they first heard of the allegations back in the off-season. So to be fair, I think they'll already be thinking about how they're going to play this game, how they're going to run the ball, if they need to run the ball, and really what their adaptation-wise is is not going to be that much. Like you said, Fimjig was going to be banned for this game anyway, Ray Rice, you know, so they're going to be looking to put it in the hands of Fossett and Pierce anyway. So they'll probably be... It's just, going to, it's just a side circus, to be fair. This unfortunately, it's it, it's a part. It's the ugly side of football. We we don't want to think about. So I think looking ahead, Baltimore they're going to turn up for business on Thursday, and I hope they regard themselves and put in the effort needed to. to it's going to be a tough win if they want it, so they have to turn up. Yeah, nice one. Okay, so what other games have caught your eye looking into week two? Well, my favourite one I really want to look at now is Jacksonville at Washington. Do you know um, what? Again, uh, I must stress that this isn't planned, uh, but that was actually the second game on uh, my list well, when I was looking through the, the schedule. And for me, uh, sorry to have interrupted you as well, Marcus, but for me, it's seeing if we're going to have the real RG3 turn up this week against the Jaguars. Because if he doesn't, we've seen 
um, what quality Jaguars have, well, in the first half anyway, against the Eagles. And, and again, it could be another upset. Yeah, uh, it's, for me, at the moment, I'm not sure what Washington's identity is. Trying to bring in Jay Gruden as the offensive coordinator and RG3, let's, let's, let's turn him into a pocket passer. It's not looking great. Preseason didn't look great. This week didn't look great. He looked uncomfortable having to try and keep himself in the pocket. Jacksonville, on the other hand, they have a game plan. I feel that with such a, a maybe they got quite a young team, young coaching staff. When they got ahead, they didn't know how to what to do with that last week, especially against a Eagles team that has a lot of offensive power. And Chip Kelly was able to just go, "Whoa, what's not working?" Right, okay. That all got cut, and slowly but surely they managed to find them. I think Macklin didn't have a catch until about the third quarter because they just they had to rechange the game plan. Jacksonville, I think they're going against an easier defense in Washington, so therefore, if Washington really don't come out and put some real gusto under their under their wings, then they are really going to find themselves struggling, and we could be watching them sort of looking towards you know number one picking at the end of the season. Really, even this this early on, you're thinking they could end up having that bad a season where they get, what, sort of two, three wins only? I don't like their defence, and I don't like Jay Gruden turning. If you, if you Honestly, if you're going to try and create RG3 into a pocket passer, which I don't think he's not, I don't think he's got the the quite pocket presence, I don't think he's got the, the quite the stiffling arm, as it were, he work, works better off the run, sort of ad hoc. I think you might as well, if you're going to try and do that to save your season, you might as well put Cousins in now, who who was a pocket passer all through Michigan and last year was a pocket passer. You might as well just change it all up now and just say, look, let's get rid of RG3, give him to a team that's going to use him as he's intended to, because otherwise you're pretty much stifling that kid's career because he's just never going to, I don't think he's ever going to turn into the pocket passer you want. Uh, no, I, I agree with that, and I don't think you should be trying to turn the likes of RG3 into a pocket passer because the reason why he got drafted so high in the first place was because of his ability to make plays with his feet and the fact that if he needs to, he can throw the ball on the run and um, can pass it reasonably well down the field as well. I don't think, certainly from his first season before his uh, before his injury last year, he actually had a really, really good accuracy rating. So I think it was about 60-something percent, wasn't it, in his first season? So <clears throat> for me, like you say, don't try and change RG3. It would be like trying to change uh, Kaepernick into Brady or Brady into Kaepernick. It's just, it's not going to work. Um, so let the kid do what he does best and, and play the game. But, you know, it's, it's always easy to make these decisions when you're sat on the sidelines sorry sat in the armchair posted yeah. on the sidelines I, I wish I was sat, sat on the sidelines yeah you I'd give my both. right leg to, I'd give my right leg to be on the, the sidelines whoa that'd be amazing yeah well you never know mate maybe someone will call one day with all the teams that are coming over to London maybe you just need to put in an appearance and see what happens the next one <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to is the Falcons versus the Bengals now uh, we mentioned hard knocks earlier in this show and they are obviously the last two teams from the hard knock series so this season and and last season as well and again found myself getting attached to both these teams so it'd be really interesting to see who comes out on top because if you look at it purely from an offensive point of view then the Falcons hands down have the best offense but the Bengals have the wild card in, in AJ Green you know we know what he can do 
and that, that defence isn't exactly shoddy, but they may be without Berflicht, who is one of their biggest players because of the concussion he suffered, strangely, in Flacco's groin. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, it looked like such a good tackle, and then he gets up, and he's like, oh, I'm out of the game. Yeah, so, um, well, I don't know, firstly, what Flacco puts down there uh, for a game. Um, it, it just looked... I think, I think the problem is he hit kind of like... Is you know, like Flacco's a flash, kind of, do you think? Well, I think the problem is he put his head so well into the guy's stomach as he let him have it Flacco's of course he's got the the, the flak jacket as well so he's got the like the rib padding so I think his, his head's pretty much squashed rather than on um, Flacco's nice um, squishy stomach but on this really tough rib padding and I think he just basically just let himself great drive the guy into the ground but get your head out of the way first yeah tackle correctly head up first heads up football but uh, who do you think then would uh, will come out on top on that one I, I see another shootout I think it's going to be another sort of 30 points a side shootout Wow, that's a that's a bold statement. Fair play. Do you have any other games you're looking forward to before we move on to our swings of the week? Monday night football, Philadelphia at Indianapolis. Now we saw that Indianapolis they didn't do too badly keeping up with Denver the week prior gone. And Philadelphia, of course, once they had the slap around the face from Jacksonville, they woke up and they electrified their offense. So for me, I really want again. I I, I could possibly see this as a massive shootout. And for me, it's going to be. It's going to be about the the mistakes here because really what let Jacksonville in this week gone was the mistakes. Foles looked really rusty, really, quite surprisingly. All the the fumbles um, especially and the pressure that they got on him. Both offensive lines looked a little bit unsolid, so I think there could be a lot of of potentially enforced errors, as it were, here where – pressures making stupid throws or maybe the ball coming out in fumble situations so i think we you know who's going to make the least amount of errors come monday night could take that excellent so we will finish off now with our and uh, marcus i will let you go first so just quickly for those again the new listeners our uh, swing of the week is where we give a percentage swing in favour of one team or the other. So if you think they may dominate uh, quite heavily, for example, you would say that maybe it's going to be like an 80-20 swing to that team. Or if you think it's going to be a lot closer, then you're thinking 50-50 or 45-55, that sort of thing. So Marcus, uh, is your swing of the week? Uh, let's start off the season good. Let's have a controversial one. Why not? Um, how about... The New York Jets over Green Bay Packers with a swing of 60-40. Seriously, you're going Jets over Packers? I, I'm Basically, the Jets' defense is aggressive. It understands what, how, how to contain. And, uh, of course, we saw Green Bay struggling against the pressure and Rodgers making the, the mistakes he's not needed, not really known for making. At the same time, we saw that Geno Smith in his offense, when he's got the likes of Ivory, oh, what's the ex-Tennessee type? Um, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson. They understand how, and I don't think the Green Bay defense is great at sort of, especially if they're going to use a lot of screen play, which is what, you know, seemed to be what the Jets were doing, especially against Oakland. I think there is a potential there for Jets to cause a really nice upset going into Green Bay. Now is the perfect time to go into Green Bay when it's nice and lovely. If we were doing this, say, November time into December, different story. I think this is the time to go in there and cause an upset. The team's still shaky. The offensive line with its injuries, injury woes and not quite there 
and you're probably going to have the more apropos Green Bay weather, now is the time to go into Green Bay and cause an upset. 60-40, though. So we're talking maybe 7 to 10 points. Oh, fair play. And uh, for my of the week, I'm coming all the way back to Thursday night football for the Ravens versus Steelers game. Based on how the two teams played this week, along with that that distraction of, of Ray Rice, I'm going with the Steelers over the Ravens with a 65 to 35 percent swing so maybe about the same probably about seven ten points maybe maybe more um depends on if that Steelers offense and Antonio Brown really do fire on all cylinders um this week but definitely Steelers victory uh with at least seven to ten point margin yeah I, I can completely see that Pittsburgh for me I think they're going to dominate all the sides of the ball other thing you mentioned about Antonio Brown is kick return game. Very effective, minus the karate kicks. I think that could be a real factor if they start getting Baltimore punting, potentially seeing one of those punts run back for a touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll leave that there on the uh, Kung Fu kicking because I'm still torn as to whether he was hurdling or whether he does half hurdle, extend his foot out to deliberately kick the guy in the face. We'll have to wait and see and, and view that a few more times to, to see what we think. So that wraps it up from us for week one. So as always, Marcus, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Remember... Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Also, we are now available on iTunes and our recent shows are also broadcast on the 1800 online network, a link to which is at the side of the page. So until next time, football fans, stay safe, take care and thanks for stopping by. (laughs) 